This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello and welcome to the Plant School Podcast. I'm Rachel Tenney. And here we learn all about plants, how they work, how to care for them, and it's all taught in a way that anyone from beginner to expert can listen to, understand, and enjoy. So I hope that you will join me in plant school. Hey guys, before I jump into today's episode that I recorded, I realized I forgot to include something. So I'm going to put it right here. I want to try doing out Q&A episodes where you, as a listener, submit an audio snippet of your question. It's super simple to do because Anchor has a little link that you can click on and submit your audio file. So if you guys look in the show notes, it'll say, have a question, submit it here. And once you click on it, it'll take you to the Anchor website. You say, allow it to use your microphone. And you can ask your question. It can be anything crazy as you want. I just want this to kind of be a fun thing that we do from here on out. So if you have a plant question that you want answered, go ahead and submit an audio file. And when I do Q&A episodes, you can have a chance to hear your voice on the podcast and I will have the chance to hopefully answer it for you and give you some understanding on whatever question you may have asked. But thank you guys so much. And now back to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Plant School Podcast. I'm really happy that you are here and listening in. I announced this in the last episode, but I'm doing these episodes every other week now. And it feels a little weird to have so much space in between. But it's been really good for me. I hope you guys know that and I really appreciate all the understanding that has come since that announcement. Also, since these episodes are more spaced out in between, I will probably be doing giveaways much more often. So, the way to enter, it's changed. All you have to do is submit a review on Apple Podcasts. So you do have to have an iTunes account. I did find that out through a few of you messaging me. But once you log into your iTunes account, you can access it through your computer. Or if you have an iPhone, you can simply do it that way. And if you write a review that has words in it so that I can actually see your review and shout you out. And I will randomly pick one of the reviews that have come in recently, read it on the podcast, and you can win some free plant school merch along with a free plant. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and leave a review. Really helps out the podcast and enters you in to win some free stuff. Anyone is welcome to do it. So again, next time I'll choose a review and we will do a giveaway since, like I said, these episodes are a little more spacey. Not spacey like I'm an airhead. Spacey as in time. Spacey. (laughs) So today we are going to be learning about air plants. Honestly, I I didn't think there would be much to air plants, but boy, I was so surprised. There is a lot to them. 
They have a really interesting history, a really interesting background. So I'm excited to dive in today. First things first, what is an air plant? Let's cover that. So the scientific name is Tillandsia. And there are many, many species. Some of the more common ones that we are bringing into our homes are Tillandsia tectorum, Tillandsia aranthos, Tillandsia melanocrater, and Tillandsia juncea, just to name a few. Those are some of the more common ones. They're actually the biggest genus in the bromeliad family, making up about 650 species. So there are a lot of them. And they're different from most houseplants because they are relatively small. And if you've seen them, they kind of have these like long spindly leaves and they don't come in a pot. It's really just them. Sometimes people, you know, attach them to other things to kind of anchor them. So you can see them like attached to a piece of driftwood, maybe at a house plant store or something like that. Or maybe they've put them in a little container for you, like a, a glass dome. But these plants are epiphytes, meaning that they live on top of something other than soil, usually attached to a different plant. Though, I will say they are not parasitic, so when they are living on top of another plant, they aren't taking any nutrients or affecting that plant in any way. But other than attaching themselves to plants through their little roots, they also will often attach themselves to things like telephone wires, bare rocks, and then also things like tree branches or even the bark of a tree. And they mostly choose material that doesn't stay wet for too long because these plants really don't like to stay really soaking wet. And we'll kind of learn about that as we dive into the care of them. But out of the 650 species in this genus, 635 of them are epiphytes, meaning that they live on top of another plant normally. And if you look closely at an air plant, if you happen to have one or if you see one at the store in the future, you can see they almost kind of look fuzzy, most of them. These are actually their trichomes, which are super important to this plant. It's what allows them to survive. So these are specialized cells that help the air plant absorb water and nutrients. So when you water an air plant or spray it, these trichomes, these trichomes are what are absorbing that water, bringing it into the plant, and once it dries, you'll notice that they kind of come back to that fuzzy appearance. And there are other plants that have these specialized cells, the trichomes. There's not very many of them. And one example is the stinging nettle. They have hollow trichomes to inject histamine and other chemicals into animals or you <laughs> to defend itself. It's used for a different purpose. Not all of them use it like the air plant does. Air plant is pretty unique in that way. I'm glad they don't use its trichomes like the stinging nettle does. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the stinging nettle. I think I've shared this story where I ran a half marathon and it was out like in the countryside. And the one time I stepped off the road because I think a car was passing, I happened to step into stinging nettle and the whole rest of the race, my ankle was like burning and kind of itchy. It was just really unfortunate that I happened to step off at that exact moment. So anyways, I'm just not a fan of them. I appreciate their trichomes and what they do and their purpose, but 
I do not appreciate that it had to be me getting stung in the middle of a race. But back to air plants, they are very low care, but that does not mean that they are no care. They do require care. And we will be going over everything you need to know about how to care for them on this podcast. Not right now, but in a moment, we will go over how to care for them. So my second question is, what do these plants symbolize? I always find this kind of interesting to know if they have some sort of meaning that we as humans have assigned to them. I have this book that I love. It's called The Complete Language of Flowers. And in it, it has all these symbolic meanings listed out for different plants. And for Tillandsia, they did have it listed, but only a certain species. So it was Tillandsia eusenoides. And we're going to actually be talking about this plant off and on throughout the history and stuff because it's a pretty interesting air plant. So it's also known as Spanish moss. And I don't know if it's a super common air plant to have in your home. It's rather long, kind of like bushy. It honestly looks like maybe like a sailor's beard sort of scraggly look to it. Like I'm sure you could find it at a houseplant store or have it in your home but I just don't know how common it is. But this one does have a lot of symbolic meaning behind it, unlike the other ones. Symbolically, it means rootless. How fitting. We know that its roots don't serve much of a function except to kind of anchor itself if they do have roots at all. And the book also mentioned that its possible power that it holds is protection. And there was an interesting little folklore behind Tillandsia eusenoides. It has been known to been used as voodoo doll stuffing, and there's a Native American legend behind it saying that it is the hair of a princess that was cut off by her bereaved groom and hung from a tree branch for the winds to carry around after she was murdered by enemies on their wedding day. Wow, what a fun story it's really kind of sad. So she was murdered, and the groom, who was so sad, put her hair in a tree, and that is what they thought of Tillandsia eusenoides. Also, eusenoides, I know some people pronounce it as as neoides, but I'm gonna stick with how I say it. I also came across a different legend, but kind of similar in creepiness, where So there was a man who wanted to marry this woman. They were in love and the dad said no. He said, you can't marry my daughter. I don't want that happening. And the man wouldn't give up. He loved her. They wanted to be together. And so he decided to put this man in a tree alive. He just tied him up into a tree and he said, if you give up, if you denounce your love for my daughter, I will let you out of this tree. Of course, he says, no, I will not. I will love her till the day I die and ends up passing away in the tree and the daughter who was so sad said i will not remarry and wouldn't remarry until her lover's beard would die so the story goes that his beard kept growing and became known as spanish moss or tillandsia eusenoides both of these stories are sad and have to do with hair and trees which like i said this species kind of looks like a big old straggly beard or something. 
So I think the second story fits Talansia eusenoides better because it looks like a scraggly beard, that poor princess in the Native American legend. If she had hair like Talansia eusenoides, that girl needs some better shampoo because it's like, <laughs> it's not the prettiest looking plant to say that it's someone's hair. It's not a compliment. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It is not a compliment to say your hair looks like Tillandsia eusenoides. So diving into their history, and I know those legends kind of touched upon their history maybe a little bit, but researchers believe that air plants developed in the Cretaceous period about 65 million years ago, and they've actually found fossils that they have dated all the way back to 30 million years old. They're native to a wide range of ecosystems in South America and the southern United States. They've been found in the Andes Mountains, in tropical rainforests, in rocky regions, in Louisiana swamps, etc. They can survive in a lot of different environments, probably because there are such a wide range of species, but they all have their own unique ecosystems that they prefer. And it's believed that when the Andes Mountains formed and kind of rose up super rapidly, this is where the epiphytic aspect of the plant sort of developed. Because with these rocky outcrops that came in super fast, these bromeliads that were living there changed over time to only use their roots for attachment, to gather nutrients and water via their trichomes those little specialized fuzzy cells that you can see on the outside of their leaves. And as the Andy Mountains continued in their ascent and connected kind of up to almost to North America and down through South America, the Talansia started to spread into Mexico, into North America, and adapted to more hot and dry environments. And with those hot and dry environments, they actually developed more trichomes and a more silvery coating so if you have an air plant and you notice it's more silvery or it's really fuzzy, that's probably one that is natively found in a really hot and arid environment. But the Incas, the Aztecs, the Mayans, they all used air plants for food, for protection, also for fiber and ceremonies. And even today, the Pima people of Mexico will still occasionally eat this plant they specifically will eat Talansia recurvata, and they like the flowers because they have a really high sugar content. So it's a very specific part of the plant that's still being eaten today, but back historically, they would eat different parts of it. And the genus Talansia was named by Carl Linnaeus, who we know is the father of, you know, modern taxonomy, how to name living things. This is the guy that came up with it, with the whole genus species Delio. So he was the one who named Talansia, and he named it after the Swedish physician and botanist Elias Talans. And it's kind of funny of why he named it after him. So air plants, as we know, they survive without a lot of water, and it turns out that Elias Talans hated water. The story goes that he was traveling to Stockholm on boat, and he got so seasick that on the way back, he decided that he would rather walk. And he was coming from a place called Turku, which is a city in Finland. So he decided he would rather walk back to Stockholm. 
and he walked around the Gulf of Bothnia, and it was about a 621-mile walk, or about a 1,000 kilometers, just because he hated the boat so much and being out on the water. So I think Carl Linnaeus may have been, like, kind of poking fun at him. It was maybe a sort of joke that they had going on. But some species of Tillandsia actually have interesting stories behind their species name. And here are just two short examples. Tillandsia capu medusa was named in 1880 by Charles Jacques Edouard Morin because it resembled Medusa's snake hair. And Tillandsia tectorum was named in 1887 by the same guy, Charles. And tectorum means on roof. And this species got this name because he noticed that it was often growing on the roofs of local Ecuadorian and Peruvian homes. It had kind of found a little niche environment on these roofs. It also grew other places as well, not on their roofs, but oftentimes they would find their way onto the roofs. And that is where he took the inspiration for Tillandsia tectorum to name it. And we talked about Tillandsia eusnoides, the Spanish moss, the grisly beard one, that has some uplifting legends behind it. But it has actually been used for its tough elastic fiber. And at one point in the early 20th century, it was being harvested at an almost industrial level because it was being used for a lot of things. So they used it to upholster seats for luxury trains, like the stuffing of them for buses and for airplanes and for yachts. And even some of the seats of early Ford Model T's were filled with Tillandsia eusenoides. So if you're a car person and you happen to have a Ford Model T, you might be able to open the stuffing and see a plant. So really interesting history going on there. And as far as it becoming a houseplant, it's really kind of just been like, oh, that's a cool, curious plant not really garnered much attention by houseplant enthusiasts until about 10 years ago. I'm kind of wondering if it's from the rise in social media and people sharing houseplants that it became so popular. But today we know that it is a houseplant of great demand. People love them. You can find them at your local hardware stores or houseplant shops anywhere. They're a really interesting plant that a lot of houseplant enthusiasts love, including myself. I have some. I think they're great. They hardly need any care, which I think is maybe a reason why I like them. But speaking of how they need little care, we're going to take a small break. And when we jump back in, we're going to be going over how exactly to care for these plants and keep them alive and happy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we are back and ready to dive in the care for an air plant. 
first things first, where do you even put it in your house? What are its lighting needs? Air plants love bright, indirect light. If it gets a few hours of direct light, usually that's totally fine, but you want to avoid putting them on windowsills since too much direct sun can burn the leaves and really cold drafts from your window can hurt it as well. They don't really love being super freezing. So if you live in a cold place, avoid putting it on a windowsill where it can be exposed to cold temperatures. In general, they prefer temperatures no colder than 50 degrees Fahrenheit, that's 10 degrees Celsius, and no hotter than 90 degrees Fahrenheit, that's 32 degrees Celsius. But they are not low light plants. So just remember that they do need a good amount of bright and direct sun. And I mentioned this before, but the air plants that have a more silver dusting, more fuzzy appearance on their foliage, they are ones that need more sun because they're the ones that their native habitat is those hot and dry environments that are really sunny. And those that have a softer foliage, not quite as silvery, they can probably handle it if they do not have as much indirect sun. But in general, lots of bright indirect sunlight should be the goal for them. So something like a well-lit kitchen or a bathroom can be great for these guys because air plants do like high humidity. You can place them in something like a glass globe that doesn't have soil or on a piece of driftwood, etc., just keep in mind that they do need good air circulation so that they can dry off in between watering, so don't keep them in an enclosed small space. Sometimes they will have their leaves shed off if something is wrong with the plant's environment, like lighting, humidity, or temperature. And they do lose leaves normally, so don't freak out if you've had one that's dying, but that's going to happen on the outside older leaves that that will naturally happen. If it's on the inside, then you need to check its lighting, its humidity or temperature, figure out what may be going on. And also keep in mind that they actually can change their color if their foliage is going from green to red or orange. This is known as blushing. It can be a sign that a flower is on the way, but don't freak out if your air plant starts to change color as well. When it comes to watering your air plant or tillandsia, it's actually really easy. You simply dunk it in water. And you want the water to be room temperature, not too crazy hot, not too crazy cold. And then, this is important, this is an important step, you gently shake it to get rid of excess water when you're done. A lot of people like to let them soak for anywhere from like 30 minutes to two hours, especially so if they've been underwatered. But I know people who will do this on a regular basis. I have had mine for years and I will put it in maybe for like a minute and then I shake it off and set it back in its little half globe container and it has been totally fine being watered that way. So find what works for you if you are someone who... I guess you want to be thorough, you want to let it soak for an hour or something, set a timer. You can totally do that and your air plant will be fine. Or if you want to be like me, just let it soak for a minute or two and then pull it out, shake it off and set it wherever it normally goes. That works too. Only thing is, do not let them sit in water overnight or try not to really water them in the nighttime because they are cam plants. 
which stands for Crassulacean Acid Metabolism. It's kind of just a fancy word for the other half of photosynthesis that's going on. And plants like cactuses and other desert plants use CAM photosynthesis. This is where they open their stomata in the nighttime when it is cooler and they lose less water and they allow the gas exchange to happen where air is coming out, oxygen is coming out, and CO2 is now allowed into the plant. So that is why you don't want to be dunking it in water when its stomatas are finally open, it is doing its photosynthesis. It can kind of interfere with that, and if you keep doing it over and over again, it could take a toll. I would say watering once a week is sufficient. Sometimes I go every other week. And you want to use filtered water or rainwater as a preferred method. Some people will even use water from their aquariums for the extra nutrients that it has. I've used tap water with mine for the past three years. I've had no adverse effects that have been noted as of yet. So again, it's kind of personal preference. If your plant is struggling and you can't figure out what it could be, it may be due to you using tap water or something like that. So using filtered water or rainwater could help. And if you live in a really humid area, you can keep these plants outside. Or I should say a really humid, warm area. You can keep these plants outside. And you may never need to water it, but the hotter and drier the air the more watering it requires. So for me, in the wintertime, our house is pretty warm because it's cold outside and we're making up for that with our heating. And it gets significantly drier in the winter too here. So I know that my air plant is going to need a little bit more care. Just keep my eye on it. Maybe water a little more often. Also, a lot of people like to mist their air plants several days a week instead of using the dunking method. You can do this, but you have to be really diligent about misting it just to make sure that it gets enough water. And again, you don't want the mist to just kind of soak into the base of the plant where it can just sit for a while. So most experts really encourage dunking, shaking it off, and misting can be a supplement but shouldn't really replace dunking. If you do notice soft brown areas or the plant has started to just fall apart, that is due to water sitting between the leaves and it has led to rot. So this is a big reason why you do need to shake them off, like turn them upside down, hold them by the base, and kind of just gently shake off the excess water so there isn't a lot of water sitting on that plant for long periods of time. On the flip side, curling leaves or crispy leaf tips are a sign of underwatering or low humidity, and to fix this, you should water or mist your air plant more regularly than you are. Next question for caring for an air plant is fertilizing. And since it doesn't have soil and roots, it may be kind of weird to think about fertilizing this plant. But about once a month, it's recommended that you dunk the air plant in diluted fertilizer water. So a lot of fertilizers, they come in like a granule or powder, or sometimes they are already a liquid and you just drop in the fertilizer. Just make sure you dilute it, maybe a quarter of what is recommended, and let your air plant sit in that fertilizer water 
when you normally would water it. And you can fertilize this plant year-round. It's recommended to either use a bromeliad or orchid fertilizer. I use a standard 10-15-10 fertilizer and I just super dilute it just to make sure I'm not going to burn my air plant. And a lot of people don't think it's necessary to fertilize your air plant, but it does help with better health, better growing and blooming but it's definitely not something that's gonna make it or break it for your air plant. So next question is about soil. And usually I cover this with every plant on the podcast of you know, what type of soil, how do you repot it? But the air plant, as we know, it doesn't even need soil. So instead you can place it on gravel. You can have it just in a plain glass container with nothing else in it. You can place it on driftwood, things like that. What you don't want to do is surround it with really porous material like moss. And I would say even soil can serve as a porous material because it really just holds onto the water and that can cause rot for our air plant. And that's not what we want. Some people or even like houseplant shops will secure their air plant to things like driftwood with different materials like glue, wire, fishing line, twist ties. And that's usually fine if you are wanting to do something like this. Just be aware, don't use hot glue. Don't puncture the plant with the wire or fishing line. Just be very gentle with it. But you can attach them to different items if that's something you're into. I have just a, a few more things to cover with this care guide portion. First thing is, can air plants be propagated? And actually, if they are pollinated, they will produce seeds after blooming. So the seeds, they come in these little capsules at the base of old flower petals, and they're in these like tufts of cotton-like material so that in nature, they can be carried out by the wind. And your home doesn't do much for them because there's not much wind in our homes. But normally they would be pollinated by things like hummingbirds, bees, butterflies, and moths. And they even recently discovered that bats are one of the common pollinators for some air plants. So once you have the seeds, they're nearly indistinguishable with other air plants. You cannot tell the difference. So if you have gotten those seeds yourself, you obviously know what kind of air plant it's going to make. But if you have bought it from someone, there's going to be no way to tell what type of air plant it is. It's just on their word. But it's going to take you about two years to have this plant grow and for you to be able to classify it as the certain species that it is. So with that being said, not a lot of people propagate the air plant by seed. Kind of risky, knowing that it's going to take you about two years to figure out to figure out what type of air plant it is. And also two years is just kind of a long time to get this thing to be grown and mature. So a much easier way to propagate is by removing pups from the parent plant. A pup is like a little baby plant. And air plants, they produce anywhere from two to eight pups after they flower. And you want to remove them when they are about one third to one half the size of the parent plant. And you kind of just gently twist them off and... There you have it, a whole new little air plant for you. The parent plant will usually die after flowering, just so you know, but it will produce those pups beforehand. 
my next question is about pests and what pests an airplane is prone to. I've honestly haven't seen very many people have problems with pests, but they can sometimes get mealybug or scale. And if you have this happen, you can treat them with an insecticide spray, neem oil, soapy water, etc. Whatever method you prefer. I like to get a little Q-tip and dip it in alcohol and wipe those bugs off and away. Or I'll use soapy water and then at the end I'll spray it with neem oil. And then as for other pests, we know that they can deal with rot or with mold. And this only occurs if they are in overly wet or moist conditions. So you can keep this from happening by shaking them off after watering, having good air circulation, and making sure it's not in a completely enclosed space. And last little thing is just some extra care tips. Number one, this is kind of just a tip for you to have in your mind. It can take years for air plants to mature and be able to flower. You can't really do much to induce flowering, but once they do, they will, like I said earlier, produce those little pups, around two to eight of them, and then the plant will die within a few years or a few months. It depends on the species how long they last after flowering. But the flowers themselves can last for several days up to several months, just again, depending on what species you have. But air plants in general live from anywhere from 3 to 15 years and they are non-toxic to pets and humans so you don't have to be worried about animals around them or children or anything like that. Maybe if you accidentally eat one, it's not a problem because it's not toxic. And last little tip is if you ever do have dead leaves that occur naturally, those outer older leaves that will die eventually, you can gently pull them off, but do not force it if it shows resistance. You only want to be pulling them off if they can come off easily. You risk damaging the plant if you yank off a leaf that is not quite ready to be removed from the plant. And with that being said, that concludes this episode on how to care for your air plant or Tillandsia. Thank you so much for listening and for being here, and I hope that you will join me in two weeks for a brand new episode of Plant School. Thank you so much for being here and for listening to the Plant School podcast. I hope that you will join me for our next episode. And if you would like to support this podcast and keep it going, there's a link down in the show notes of this episode where you can donate to this podcast. And I really appreciate all that help. Or you can go to my merch store, which is also linked in the notes of this episode. And you can find some really cool plant-related shirts and stickers. And if you want to support the podcast but spend no money, feel free to share it with a friend, leave a review. All these things greatly help me out and allow me to keep doing this. Again, thank you so much for listening and for being here at the Plant School Podcast. Mm-hmm.